Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I'm Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us as we continue to unpack how some of the best performers in the world set their mind in an intentional way to be their best. And a big part of setting their mind has to do with discipline. What are they doing exercise-wise? What are they doing to make sure their mind is set in a useful manner? And we have also talked about nutrition on this podcast. And one of our partners for the show is a company called Two Betty's. So as you probably know, not all snack foods are created equal. If you check the label, you'll be shocked by all the sugar that's in a lot of the snack foods that we consume. And so I was recently introduced to Two Betty's Rounds. And often I'm on the road and I need a quick snack. And Two Betty's look like these mini donuts. So I'll grab those Two Betty's and they're these circular snacks. Uh, They're 100% natural. They're grain-free. They're sweetened only with a touch of maple syrup and honey. And a lot of times if I'm on the run in the morning or in the middle of my day and I need a a quick energy pick-me-up, I'll pop in these Two Betty's snacks and they'll really help fuel the rest of my day. So go over to TwoBetty's.com. That's the number two in the word Betty's. And make sure to place an order for either the maple cinnamon rounds or their chocolate rounds. And when you place that order, you'll see an opportunity to punch in a promo code. And what you'll want to do is you'll punch in the word intentional, and they're going to give you 15% off your first order. So thanks to Two Betty's for supporting the show. And I'm excited for you to experience the snack food that's helping to fuel my day as well. And we are also excited to have launched our Patreon homepage. So if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a website that allows podcasters like me to get subscribers to the show. So for as little as $2 a month and as much as $10 a month, you can support our show. So if you've enjoyed any of these episodes, we really would appreciate if you could go over there, throw us a few bones, and it really does make a difference as we continue to try to grow the show, make sure it's the best quality that we can deliver to you. So if you want to support the show, go over to patreon.com backslash intentional performers. And if you give us a donation of $5 a month or $10 a month, we are actually going to give you a shout out on the show. And it could be your name, your Twitter handle, or a business that you're involved with. And that leads us to today's shout out. So one of the supporters of the show today is a company called Gas Buddy. Gas Buddy is an app that you can download on your phone and they provide uh, the best gas prices and everything else you will need to fuel your journey when you're in your car. So they have data from over 60 million users and those users are able to provide information to ensure that you're going to get the lowest pricing on gas or any other products that you would get on your journey. So go over to gasbuddy.com, download the app, and be on your way and enjoy your journey. So we're excited for this journey with today's guest. So let's cue the music and find out about them. And during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I sprayed me in my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. 
other thing you got to remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Intentional Performers. I'm Brian Levinson. Really excited to have you with us on the podcast. I created this podcast because I love chatting with intentional people, people that are setting their mind to prepare and setting their mind to perform. So we've chatted with all kinds of people, CEOs, coaches, agents, athletes, musicians, actors, really anybody who considers himself to be a performer. Those are the people we're connecting with. And we've been really fortunate. We've had all kinds of different people and they're all at different points in their career. So some are at the tail end of their career, some are at the beginning of their career. And today's guest, Steve Schlafman, is right in the heart of his career. He's actually in transition. He works in venture capital. So he has been an investor for a number of years working for a fund uh, firm called RRE, which plays in New York City tech space. And Steve has really been at the forefront of that company. And now he has branched off on his own and is starting his own thing and really trying to figure out what he wants to focus on, how he wants to focus. And he is flat out in transition during this conversation. So it's a really cool conversation. And Steve is somebody who, while he is involved with tech and certainly is passionate about tech, he also is really big into unplugging. So he'll talk about taking a 10-day retreat to just meditate and what that was like for somebody who is very plugged in and whose job it is to be plugged in. He'll also talk about a think week, which is something that he just did. And he'll talk about what that was like for him and how he uses that time to work on himself. Now that helps him develop the habits he needs to be successful in his career. So this conversation is very rich. He's a deep thinker and I know you'll like it. And it's interesting. We hardly get into the mechanics of investing, even though that's at the core of what Steve does on a regular basis. So I know you'll, you'll enjoy his passion for meditation, for mindfulness, and just for mindset and thinking about how we set our mind intentionally. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation with Steve. He's a real person and he gets in to some really vulnerable spots with his journey and really gets specific with what he's done to help him try to achieve peak performance. So when you do like this conversation, please go over to your social media, share it with your friends, share it with your family, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. And then if you could also write us a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. I just want to take a minute to thank you all for continuing to support this podcast. It really does mean the world to us. But without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Steve Schlafman. Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm actually, I came onto your podcast really, even though it's not your actual audio. We are in a breather office, which, you, which you set up. And we're in New York City, so we're not in my city. So I really feel like I'm a guest with you, but hopefully I'll guide you and then this will be more about you than me because it's gonna be far more interesting if we do that. Uh, but I wanna start because uh, you're active with writing and blogging and with social media. So I have a little insight into what you've been up to, which I, th I always find to be kind of 
uh, eerie or weird. Like we know what people are up to without really the human interaction. So we're going to do the human interaction and then other people will know what you're up to without the human interaction. But you just did something that you called a think week. And I don't think you created that term based on your writing. I didn't. But I want to find out why you did that what the reasoning behind it was, and just give us some insight into what it was like. Sure. Before I dive into my own experience, I think it's super helpful to outline exactly what a Think Week is and where the inspiration came from. And and that actually uh, came from Bill Gates, uh, who is someone who I've always admired. I started my career at Microsoft, so I knew about his famous Think Weeks when I when I joined in the early 2000s. And, and the Think Week is simply this. Bill would go off the grid for a week and use it as a, as a time to read and think. And Microsoft employees would submit a variety of essays to him and, and uh, supposedly the Microsoft's response to the internet came from one of his think weeks and he wrote a, uh, a, a whole essay on it and distributed it to the team. And so I use that as a template to plan my own think week and the, the reasoning really is I'm, I'm in between jobs. I've been a venture capitalist now for almost uh, eight years, maybe a little bit longer, um, if you count the time that I spent at the craft group in the Patriots, where I did a little bit of that. Um, and I recently left the firm I've been investing out of for the last four years. And since I'm in a transition, I felt like it was a really good opportunity to disconnect and just go deep and, and think and read and exercise and eat well and meditate. And it, it was just a really powerful experience, and I'm glad I did it, although it wasn't easy. So where are you doing it? What does a typical day look like? Uh, paint that picture for us. Yeah. Um, so what I should say before I, I dive into your question is uh, leading up to the Think Week, I uh, spent almost a half a day planning for it. And so I mapped out what my schedule would look like. I picked a, a number of themes, although you, if you wanted to do your own Think Week, you could pick one theme. It, 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 there's really no, no rules. So what I did is I simply um, made a schedule, selected about 10 different topics that I was interested in, which I'm happy to go into detail on. And, uh, and what I did is I, I have a place up in the Catskills and in, in the woods and my wife and I went up there two weeks ago and on Sunday rather than me coming back to the city with her she just dropped me off and left me there. And it's like I was, dropping you off for college yeah. and you're just on your own but there's no roommate there's yeah. no, no craziness going on. No, no car no, no I was I was stuck there aside from my bike and so um, simply what it was is I was in the woods um, in, in, a, in a small house and um, with nothing other than an internet connection and hundreds of essays and articles saved, a number of books that I, that I purposefully, um, that I pur- purposefully chose that, that matched some of my, my themes. And uh, I would wake up. So I, I, I kicked off the Think Week on a Monday and, it, and basically extended it through Friday. So I didn't do a full seven days. It was really about four and a half to five days. And I would wake up every morning, 6 to 6.30, and I would get I would meditate for 30 to 45 minutes. Um, there were a few sessions where I actually meditated longer. I'm, I have a daily meditation practice, so this isn't like I was breaking new ground here. Can you uh, – I'm just going to interject. So can you just give us an idea of the meditation practice? We're going to use this – this schedule, but I, at the same time, I want to dig a little deeper. Sure. So you said 
you have a daily meditation practice. Yeah. You just threw out 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, people that have tried to meditate or are meditating know that's not the easiest thing on the planet sure. to do. So we're going to get into meditation in this conversation. Can't wait. But how long have you been meditating for? And has it always been for around that period of time? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I've been a meditator now for a little bit more than three years. And I started practicing TM, Transcendental Meditation. I learned at the uh, David Lynch Foundation up in Midtown here in New York. Amazing, amazing organization. Um, but I, lear I learned up there and, and that practice is, it's a mantra-based meditation practice. And it's typically twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon for 20 minutes. And when I first learned, that was a lot of time for me. And, and sometimes even, for example, this morning, my meditation, I, I went for 25 minutes, which is now on the short side. And I was, I was antsy. So it's not like um, now that I can tolerate longer, longer meditation sessions that it, it, it gets easy. It's, it, who knows what's going to come up. And so anyhow. I kind of uh, think of it as like the weather. I went to Syracuse University where it snows every day. And just because you're up there doesn't mean that it gets easy to deal with. You just learn to put your boots on. You learn to do it and just make it a habit to go out and put your jacket on and your boots on. And then you're just going to be in the weather. But that doesn't mean that it's still not freezing or frigid or snowing. And people are always like, oh, well, you're used to this weather. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, this weather still sucks. I think meditation, people think like, oh, you get good at it and then you're just good. But life happens and it's just the practice of the habit of meditation that, that you do. That's sort of how I was hearing that. Exactly. I, I read a book earlier this year um, by John Kabat-Zinn, who is uh, the, the, uh, the father of uh, effectively it's... Uh, like mindfulness, meditation, practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he's, um, it's basically, he's the father of a, a form of, of uh, stress-reducing meditation, or, or he's done a ton of research on using meditation to reduce stress. And he's actually one of the first people to say that you can use meditation to, to reduce stress and to, to, to sort of take your metaphor of being ready for the weather he, he has one that I really love, and it, it's extremely visual in that it's like almost being like a mountain, right? And, and I like to think of Mount Rainier because I lived in Seattle, and it's such a beautiful place, and I love spending time there. But this idea of a massive mountain that's just subjected or subject to all of the various elements, sun, rain, blizzards, avalanches, and it just sits there. It doesn't, it doesn't really move, and so this idea that you can be facing a storm or sunshine and that you just have to sit there. And, and so I love that, that metaphor of just being a mountain and, and not moving. And through that, you're able to develop uh, some equanimity so that when you're not on your cushion or you're not on your seat, you can sort of face anything throughout the day and not react to it, but just sort of experience it and feel it. And then, uh, ultimately decide how you want to respond. Yeah, I use a metaphor in my field all the time, which is you don't wait till it rains to build a roof. So you're roof building. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have stress, or you're not going to have anxiety, or you're not going to have maybe even bouts of depression, but you're just building the roof so that 
when those environment situations, circumstances arise, you're in a better place. Uh, also, I think it's, it's, it's just worth noting the idea, because meditation has become very popular, and, uh, but TM, which, which Steve has referenced, in most major cities, you can go and, and take these classes. I know I live in Bethesda, Maryland, there's TM classes 10 minutes away. So if that's something you're interested in, for the people that are listening to this, certainly you can explore TM in a more certified way and in a more uh, educational way, and it can sort of set you on your path. So uh, it's good for people to know that as well. Yeah, and, and the other thing I would say is that there are many forms of, of meditation. And while I started out practicing TM, I've, I've sort of migrated to Vipassana, which is more of a, it, Vipassana effectively means insight, and it's a much different uh, technique than TM, and so it involves, uh, it's more, uh, rather than rather than mantra-based, it's more of a mindful-based meditation technique, and it's, uh, effectively, it's all about uh, scanning your body over and over and over, and sitting with all the sensations, whether they're positive or negative, and not responding and reacting to them. Uh, and so I've been spending a lot more time focused on that technique of meditation over the last three months, which I, I, I've, I've really come to enjoy. It is interesting because I would say there's more than one way to eat a Reese's. So meditation is a big word. Mindfulness is a big word. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. I think a lot of people think that you have to be on a beach somewhere with your legs crossed and your your hands on your legs and do it that way. Um, but a lot of people that uh, really get into meditation will say that they do it throughout the day uh, without necessarily having a practice, um, you know, in the morning or at night or whenever. And they actually practice more mindfulness, which I look at as sort of the all-encompassing aspect of it and meditation really being the tool of mindfulness that's how i think about it but it, it's just really interesting stuff there's really good research there's good science there's good data um and you know i think it's something that i you know this morning i did a little bit of my meditation practice which has evolved over the years and is constantly evolving and i think you hit the nail on the head i think all of them come back to this notion of acceptance without judgment um a question I had for you in regard to meditation is, do you think of it more as a relaxation tool or as a focus tool? I would say that it accomplishes both for me. Um, it's, it's a way to, um, to focus on what the, what the day is going to bring, even though I'm not consciously thinking, oh, I need to do all these things when I'm practicing. But it's a way that it like sets the tone for the day and gets my mind focused and sharp. So when I'm I'm off my cushion and I go to shower, I'm 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 ready to go. Um, and so for me, it, it 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 almost just sets up the day and provides just a little bit of focus. And it also is extremely re relaxing. Um, and it's a good reminder that when I'm when I am meditating, that I try to sink a little bit deeper into my cushion without forcing it such that I can relax. And I've had ADD and ADHD ever since I was a kid. All of, all of my brothers and I were, were given that, that gift by my parents. And, uh, and I find that meditation is the one of the things that has really helped me calm down and also deal with some anxiety. So it, it definitely is a form of relaxation. It, for me, when I, when I do the meditation, and by the way, I'm not that disciplined with it, which 
is a whole other podcast for myself. Um, but it holds me accountable to my day. So for me, it's like if I'm going to spend the time for what I like to do is focus on my breath and really be intentional with what I'm doing with my breath and just stay in that place, in that space. Then when someone cuts me off in, in the street or there's anger or sensations of anger, I'm able to observe them more and be aware of them more and the physiology of that. Whereas historically in my upbringing, uh, I think anger has been very reactive for me and has been an issue for me as I've uh, grown up. And once again, that's a whole nother podcast about myself, but learning how to understand the physiology of what's going on in my body has created space. And then I say to myself, hey, you spent that time breathing this morning when you could have been doing so many different things and now you're gonna do this? Um, and it just creates that space to make sure that I, I don't act. All right, we could go deeper into meditation. Yeah, and I, I'd love to pick up where we left off on the Think Week, but I'll, 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 for, for the listeners out there, I just wanna make one point, is that um, for me, meditation has been what's known as a keystone habit, which this idea of not all habits are equal, that some actually lead to greater gains in other areas of your life, and for me, um, meditation was absolutely a keystone habit that I developed, meaning that it spilled into all these other areas where, you know, I've, I've eaten better, I've been way more focused, I gave up drinking. Um, it, it ultimately led to all of these, these positive developments in my life. And you don't even have to start out with 20 minutes twice a day, right? Um, you could even start out with one minute a day or two minutes a day or five minutes a day and, and ultimately work up to 20 minutes. And there's now a slew of great apps that you can use just to dip your toe in the water. So as you're thinking about developing a habit, I would say rather than saying, I'm gonna start by meditating 20 minutes a day, just start with one minute a day, right? But 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 make it, make, make it a habit and then grow from there because I, I'm a big believer and you have to take small steps before you can take big steps. Love it. When did you stop drinking? Uh, about two and a half years ago. And that was a result of? Of meditation, yeah. Yeah. Um, just, and I, I, I never characterized myself as someone that had a drinking problem, although I would admit that I probably drank more than the average person. And, you know, when you go out to tech events every night or dinners, you end up having uh, beer or wine and I just found myself waking up in the morning to do my morning meditation I didn't feel great and I, I just felt off and as I was taking on more responsibility at the firm deploying more capital in the companies making commitments to entrepreneurs and especially to my, my family and my wife um, I ultimately decided that the only way I could reach peak performance is if I removed um, any sort of substances that would make me feel a certain way and so I, I I did that it was honestly one of the best decisions I made and uh, I'm really happy that I did and I don't I don't even think about it anymore it's now I'm on autopilot you know I gave it up and uh, so that uh, again like I would say that meditation spilled over into that area in a way that was pretty profound do you get judged by others you're still going to those tech events oh, you're yeah. still networking how how are you looking at being in your seat, how, how does that all work? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, there's a lot of people that, and, and myself included before I decided to, to give up alcohol, um, 
in, in a lot of ways, it's a social lubricant and that it uh, allows people to lower their guard and, and maybe perhaps become a little bit more vulnerable. And that was one of the, the things that I, I, I thought I was going to struggle with. And after a while, I'm just like, look, this is a decision that I've made. And, and when people ask me, you know, you're not going to have a drink, I said, no, I don't drink. And if they're like, why? I'll say, I don't like the way it made me feel. And, uh, and I should also say that uh, I have a history of addiction in my family. And frankly, like, if I'm going to be a great venture capitalist, I'm going to be a great husband, I'm going to be a good partner. Like, I don't want any of that stuff influencing me. I want to be laser focused and I want to be putting things into my body that that make me feel good and that are good for me. And so um, I'm, I'm not bashful. I'm actually pretty, pretty open about it. And uh, I'm really pleased with that decision. The intensity with which you just said that and the clarity with which you just said that was probably the most clear that you've been since our time sitting here. So that's just a footnote for those that can't see you. Um, your body shifted when you were talking about that was there you said substances so was there also a food uh aspect of that you said yeah you said i i changed the way i was eating i stopped drinking was there also a food component to it for you well well there are a number of things like one is um when i decided to to stop drinking um i also gave up smoking marijuana which was something that i used for a long time like a lot of people these days specifically to manage anxiety um and i was sort of using that for a very long time that dates back into my time in college and uh i i met my meditation practice also helped me get to that point where i was like okay i need to give this up i want clarity of mind i want to focus i want i want to reach peak performance i want to be a great husband i want to be a great uh father one day all those sort of things and so marijuana was another thing that went completely and i'm I'm just so pleased and happy that that i went there um another thing is in terms of food, um, increasingly I've been giving up meat. Although I love steak, I love I love other forms of uh, of animal based products. So I haven't given that up completely, but I've definitely reduced my consumption of meat and eggs and and dairy quite considerably. But overall, like for me, it's about maintaining a consistent meditation practice. It's eating healthy. It, I, I probably drink too much coffee, but I'll give myself that. Um, I, I have a very consistent exercise uh, program where I, I try to exercise or stretch every single day of the week. I, oftentimes I'll exercise five days a week. But for me, it's, it's trying not to do too much at once, right? Like all of these changes didn't happen overnight, right? It, it was, it, they all happened over a long period of time. And now I'm in a place where I know who I am. I don't try to be someone that I'm not. And I, I just stick to what I know and I don't pretend to know what I don't know. And um, I, I, I just know who I am and, and I'm going to continue down that path. There are three A's that you mentioned, and I promise we'll get back to your schedule at Think Week, but this is the fun of the podcast. Yeah, and we're just that's gonna... fine. We'll, we'll come back to the Think Week. <laughs> the three A's, which were ADHD, anxiety, and addiction. Yeah. You threw all three of those out there. Yeah. And those three words are all seen as negatives. Yeah. ADHD as a kid, I'm sure you were told, you know, 
you're not going to be able to do as well in school. Well, par- parents wouldn't let their kids hang out with me and my twin. I have an identical twin brother, and we were just we were off. We were just really poorly behaved. Like Anxiety we, is thought to be as a bad thing. Yeah, and addiction is certainly seen as as a negative. But those are three aspects of your identity and and who you are. Yeah. And what I'm fascinated by is I think you're using all three of those to do Think Week. I think you're using all three of those to uh, be good at your craft. I think you're using all three of those to do meditation. I think you're using all three of those to make the decision of this is what I'm going to drink, this is what I'm going to eat, this is what I'm not going to partake in. So one of the things I'm obsessed with is we often label things as good and bad. And I think that that's a big mistake. So I think anxiety, I yeah, anxiety can be a massive blessing. If it's overused, it can be detrimental. Well, well, let me, as it relates to anxiety in my own career, like when I was growing up, I wasn't the best best of students because I was so poorly behaved or badly behaved that I was put in special education because teachers just didn't want to deal with me. God bless them. I'm not, I harbor no resentments towards them, but I was a really, really bad kid. And that's not an uncommon story, especially in the tech space that you've played in that sandbox. You hear that all the time from people. There are the Zuckerbergs of the world, right? But there's also a swell of people that said, yeah, the, the ter- teachers didn't know what to do with me, so they yeah. just said, "Get out of my class." Yeah, they're like, "We're <laughs> gonna, we're gonna throw you in special education," and, and that that's fine. And and I had to play catch up by the time I got to high school, which I'm, I'm I've always I always feel like I've been playing catch up in one way or the other. But what I was gonna say is that this anxiety, as a strength, has been that um, I never felt like I was good enough, or. Um, or that I was good enough, but I was always playing from behind, or that I, I have fear about not being great or being, a, being an imposter or all yeah. these sorts of things. And so I, I, in some ways, it's been it's a double-edged sword where for, for me it, it, it's been a huge source of strength because it's allowed me to achieve a lot of things that I don't think, I don't think necessarily were easy, but it, it was a source of fuel. And ADHD is also linked to creativity. So, like, uh, and by the way, and, and, and the ADHD for me yeah. is th- this idea where I, I just, I, I can never sit still. As my mother used to say, that Stephen ha- had spulkies. He could never, he could never sit, sit uh, in one place we'll for more than a minute. We'll explain the Yiddish in the show notes. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> and, uh, and, and for me, it was great because it allowed me to always do something like, I didn't. I never wanted to sleep in, even in college. Like I would, I would always select the first classes, like the eight a.m., the eight thirty. Even if I was waking up from a late night, I would just wake up and take the first class because it would allow me to start my day, and I was able to get a lot done. So the the ADHD has helped with my creativity, my intellectual curiosity. This idea of getting up early. I've always been an early riser. I'm, I'm usually up. I mean, it's pretty rare that I'll sleep in, but I try to get up uh, at least. 6 30 7 o'clock at the very latest during the weekdays i'm up at least 6 a.m every morning and the addiction piece is what allows you to probably be so disciplined with your all right i'm not drinking anymore no like i'm not drinking anymore right like uh whereas someone else might be able to dabble it holds you to this standard or the meditation or the you're just stretching and, and exercising. Um, and well, then, I'd like to throw yeah. in a, a fourth A. All right, give me a fourth that, A. That is a po- that I, I view a positive with finally accepting the addiction piece. 
um, I think it's led me to be a lot more authentic and know who I am and just say like, look, this is who I am. I'm, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not going to try to run and hide from it. I'm not going to suppress it. Like, this is who I am and I'm going to embrace that. And as I've embraced those aspects of me, it's allowed me to ultimately uh, move forward and get, I mean, way more momentum. I mean, if I look back two and a half, three years ago when I wasn't happy, when I was, I just had a lot of, not even mental baggage, just anxiety, stress. I was working 80, 90 hours a week. I just wasn't happy. And I was ashamed and all these sorts of things. And then once I was able to attack those those three three A's that you talk about, I was I found myself like in a lot of ways. Like I, I know who I am and I know where I want to go. What's your definition of success? My definition of success is honestly to 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 know who I am, to be a good husband, and to find happiness. And to me, like happiness is something that is always fleeting. It, and, and I, I, I try not to find happiness in a way that, that I'm chasing it, but this, this idea that um, I'm healthy, the people I love are healthy, and, and, and for me, like what's in my control is what I try to focus on. And so um, just trying to, I think success is just being okay with who I am, right? The authenticity piece. Yeah. Yeah. And- uh, there's a lot to unpack. And, and obviously, yeah, go, go, go. like I have goals in my life, and I'm incredibly ambitious and what competitive. I want to build an in, uh, some sort of a, an institution, likely a fund that uh, can outlive me, because not only does it create a lot of impact, and 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 that word impact can be used in a bunch of different ways, um, but also makes money for our investors. And so if they're successful, we're successful. And then ultimately the people that our products touch uh, are successful. Why say outlive me? Because I, I think it's important. I mean, look, I, I'm not knocking uh, fund managers that are building firms that will eventually die off. But I'm a big believer that if you put a lot of energy into something and you make it your life's work, it would be a shame to just see it wither on the vine. Legacy matters to you. It does. It does because I I think that uh, you know when when th- there's there's a Macklemore uh, song glorious that he has this quote in it that says um, I mean this is the effect of it this isn't the exact quote but you, you die twice right everybody dies twice when they actually when they physically die and when they they mention your name for the last time and and that like really struck a chord with me and that's not to say that like. For me, it's not even about necessarily like I want to be famous. It's more like I want to create something that can persist for a long time. And and by the way, one of those things is hopefully going to be raising a family and and being a great father. But there's another side to that, which is building an organization that can can survive and outlive me. Yeah, legacy is a fascinating one. For it me is, yeah, because we don't know the fourth generation above us. So we might know our grandparents, our great grandparents, but really if you get to the fourth generation, it's very rare that you can name who those people were. 
Um, so, so it's it's an interesting thing when we think about it because I think sometimes we forget about how small we are within the universe. Uh, I took the subway today, and when you're in the subway in New York, there's just all kinds of different people there. And I just started thinking, like, where do these people come from? How do they end up here? This is my my brain. Um, and, and I just start thinking, and then you're like, man, you're such a small cog in this world, in this universe. But then the other side of it is like, yeah, but if I'm here, let's do something big. Let's do something to to change the world for the better and, and make it make an impact. Uh, and 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 I should be clear when I when I say make an impact. Um, yeah, as as investors, we may we have an indirect uh, impact in that. I like to say we vote with our dollars, and so we can help create the future that we want to see. Um, but we're not the ones that are actually carrying out that change and, and building it. And I think there's ways that that investors can participate in that change beyond just writing a check. But uh, it's definitely something that I think spend a lot of time thinking about is how can you deliberately create an impact, whether directly or indirectly. Have you read David Brooks's The Road to Character? I haven't, but I'm a I'm a big David Brooks fan and it's on my book list. All right, so I'm gonna spoil just one aspect of it, but not sure. the whole book. Um, and the question is, do you value your eulogy or your resume more? Which is more important to you? My eulogy for sure, right? Like when I when I think about everything is impermanent, right? We're all going to die. It's like I've been spending a lot more time digging into to Buddhism. And so and, and there's a variety of reasons for that. And one of which I think is my, my biggest fear uh, is, is death. And once you dive into that world, you realize that we're all, you know, we're, we all, we're all going to uh, we're all going to enjoy the same fate, I, I should say. And and so. Um, for me, the eulogy is, is easily the most important because it, it, it hopefully won't encompass just my, well, I hope it doesn't encompass my career, but more or less like how I treated people and the impact that I had. And I think that that far surpasses any resume. In fact, like I don't even have a resume. I don't, I don't think I've made a resume since, geez, maybe 10 years ago. So, um, I wouldn't even know where that was. Well, we're going to talk about your transition after we get into Think Week, and maybe it leads to you actually having to have a resume. It's an interesting conversation. Yeah. But it's 7.30. You're up in the Catskills. Yeah, and, uh, and, I, and I've just come off an hour-long meditation bender doing my Vipassana routine. Uh, and I would make, make breakfast, quick breakfast, and then I would just start reading. And I would typically read from 8 o'clock to about 11.30 in the after, in the morning, rather. And then I would get my workout in. So I'd typically go for a 20 to 30 mile bike ride, call it an hour and a half. I would come back, shower, and I would, oh, and if I didn't ride my bike, I would go for a quick run or uh, get some yoga in. And then I'd come back, I would listen to a podcast uh, while what I was- What podcast? So I listened to a bunch of podcasts. I, I, I've really been getting into- um, to Farnham Street, uh, Shane Parrish, he's, he's amazing. And so I listened to a number of podcasts, uh, Life Lessons from a Self-Made Billionaire, which is with Ray Dalio, who I'm a, I'm a re- really big fan of. He's, he's sort of everywhere these days with his new book, uh, Principles. I was going to ask you about that because literally it's the internet spying on me. You probably know what they're actually doing. Um, but I, like literally I'm on Twitter. Oh, here Ray's TED Talk. 
I, I hop on Facebook. Oh, there's Ray again. Yeah. Why do you think someone like that is so interested in um, doing what he's doing now? Legacy, right? Uh, and and I've I've been a big fan of Ray's for probably the last five years. I, I have his before he published this book uh, last month. He has a P, there was a PDF of his principles floating around the web, and I've I've read that I, I have that PDF and I've read it multiple times, and so he's someone who I've always uh, admired for because of his principles. But if you listen to his TED talk and other recent interviews, it's it's clear that he wants to be able to teach his principles to others while also um, preserving what what he's created in in a way that can can be spread and and hopefully inspire other people to develop their own set of principles it's an interesting thing because you said uh you know two and a half three years ago uh you were stressed you were overworked it wasn't a good time for you yet when the outside look when the outside world probably looked at you had no clue right and they probably thought you were the definition of success yeah and um so i think it's interesting because i'm I am the last person to say that money doesn't matter. Like, I think it absolutely matters. It does. Um, Super. My, my, my father always used to say to me, um, why, why are you doing what you do? And I said, ah, because of impact and all that. He's like, what about money? Because money is really important. And I, at, at the time, I, I, I think I was being a little too idealistic. Now, like the way I think about money, like I, I have no desire to own mansions or really fast cars or have a private jet. Like none of that stuff matters to me. But what does matter is is health, number one, um, and the ability to afford a healthy lifestyle because there's definitely a cost to that. The next is education. And then the, the third is experiences as broadly defined as possible. You know, traveling the world, having being able to get out of the city, experience great restaurants. So for me, like, it's more around optimizing for experiences. And and, and then the fourth, and, and this is, I, I, I talk with uh, Connie Macbella, who used to be at Collaborative Fund here in New York and now is is uh, an entrepreneur starting something in the healthcare space. But he and I have, have romanticized that when we're, in quote, successful one day and, and have made a lot of money, uh, a lot more money than we have now, um, you know, what are the kinds of organizations we want to give it to? And, and to me, like, once you have a certain amount, the question is, like, what's enough? Like, one of the things I love about my wife is she always, like, we have enough, we have enough, we have enough. And, and it's a good reminder that it, it ultimately comes back to experiences, health, education, and then hopefully supporting other organizations long term. So there's a whole science of happiness, and the science of happiness hits on a lot of things you just touched on. And you said earlier, I'm not, I'm not searching for happiness, but they found that happiness is not an outcome, it's a journey, right? So like we can find happiness in doing, uh, we can find happiness in giving, we can find happiness in self-satisfaction, we can find happiness in personal growth, we can find happiness in gratitude. But it's all temporary, right? And that, that we're always going through these, these sites, like anything in the, the universe, there are cycles. And so the, 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 the important thing that I realized is that, you know, happiness first has to come within and, and that no external thing is, is really going to make you happy long term. Like everything is fleeting. And so once 
at least when, when I started to realize that, it, it really changed the things that I valued. I don't know if you remember, there's like a science fiction movie called Super 8 that came out a little while ago. No. It's a Spielberg movie, and it's about this kid whose dad passes away, and the kid's just upset, and he's acting out, and he's just sort of acting out. And then there's this monster that comes to their town, and you know, the monster's just being angry and just upset because of stuff that had happened to the monster. Uh, and the kid bonds with the monster, and one of the big scenes in the movie is the kid says to the monster, bad things happen. That's what clicked for the monster. And to your point, if you live long enough, there's going to be bad yeah. things that happen. You're going to have people close to you pass away. There's going to be disease. There's going to be injury. There's going to be terrorism. There's going to be anxiety. There might be bouts of depression. Um, but yeah, life also involves bad things. So I agree. I don't think happiness is a state that is constant. Um, but I do think it's important to understand what are the things that correlate with happiness. So if gratitude is something that correlates, your wife isn't wrong to say we have enough in the sense of like, yeah, we're, we should be grateful for what we have. But there's another side to that too, which is like, all right, that's being, but then there's also this notion of becoming, right? Because right? the moment you become complacent, I'm not so sure that that's where you want to live either. And if you saw our life, there's no complacency whatsoever. We're both maniacs and, and work way too much. Like right now, I'm technically out of work and I'm still waking up every morning at 6 a.m. and working late into the night and on the weekends. And so um, there's, there's very little complacency just because I think it's the way that we're wired. Interesting. Yeah. So you go for a bike ride, you read... Some some books, listen to podcasts. Some podcasts. Yeah, so so some of the other podcasts. I, I love the Dalio one. Um, another one is Givers Takers in the Resilient Mind with Adam Grant, who wrote Originals and Givers and Takers, and uh, he's a professor of of uh, I think of psychology at Penn. Yeah, Penn exactly, yep. and and uh, that that was a phenomenal one. I I listened to Misbehaving with Richard Thaler, uh, Thaler rather on NPR's Hidden Brain, which was also great. He just won the Nobel Prize. Uh, he's, he's a behavioral economist. Uh, These are basically the, the same people as you and I. Yeah. It's the exact same content, right? I'm just being sarcastic. And, and, and so, so those, are, those are some of the podcasts that I listen to. And then, uh, and then I would often read from, you know, call it one to, to four. I would take a walk for 30 minutes into the woods, up and down the street. Uh, because I didn't have a car, and then I would uh, I'd make dinner and uh, and then continue to read. And, and through through all these readings, I was taking notes. I was uh, taking snapshots of certain passages. I was spending time writing, and so all these sorts of things. When I emerged, while I don't think I've like I've, I've become enlightened in any sense, but I at least was able to flex some of my intellectual curiosity. And, and go deep into a number of areas that, that I've been curious about. So you do this Monday through Friday, daily. Uh, what's it like being alone during that time? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It was actually much harder than I thought. Um, and, I, and, and I know we talked about this before, before the show. Uh, I recently got back from a 10-day silent meditation retreat. But in that retreat, you're actually with people, even though you can't look at them, you can't gesture to them, you can't you can't communicate in any any way. But you're surrounded by people, and so this was a much different experience where I had no contact with any human beings, and I couldn't like 
wasn't looking at him. I was like, there's just no one around. And so that was a little bit, that was hard. I mean, uh, I, I would say that uh, at least once a day I would talk to my wife. So it wasn't like I was completely going off the grid. I found that when I went on my meditation retreat, not communicating with my wife was, was really, really difficult. And that was probably the thing I missed the most, uh, more so than, than, than uh, dinner because we didn't eat dinner at the retreat. But uh, being alone in the woods was, was really hard. Um, and, but, you know, you sort of accept that that's, that's the situation and you power through it. And, and I actually think the beauty of being alone is that you spend time with yourself, right? I think that at least through discussions with a lot of friends and, and even uh, reading a number of articles and engaging with, with, uh, with a rabbi friend of mine is that people are, are afraid to meditate because or to spend time alone because they're forced to be with themselves. And for me, like when I two net, or three years ago when I started meditating, I had, like I always had a hard time being alone. I was always out like parties or networking events or hanging out with entrepreneurs or doing something with my fa- like I could never sit as I goes back to my ADD. Like I could never sit still, but I would never spend time by myself. And meditation actually forced me to look at like. To, to sit and look at my thoughts and be with myself. And so doing that for a week was really challenging, but incredibly gratifying because you really start to get to know who you are and how your brain works and how you react to certain things. Um, but overall, it was, it, was, it was difficult, but very, very uh, beneficial. So the main question that I have is if you're wired a certain way, you're wired to not be complacent, you're wired to interact with people, what leads to you going away for 10 days and knowing that they're going to, I'm not going to even put words into it. Walk us through the decision to go on that 10 day retreat, uh, the meditation retreat. Why do that? If you know, that's going to be a massive, massive challenge for you. Yeah. Um, I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess, I suppose, but... Uh, Wait, what, what do you mean by that? I like to challenge myself, both physically and mentally, um, because um, I guess at, at the heart, I'm, a, I'm an achiever. I, I always want to I always wanna feel like I'm evolving and, and, and going through experiences that aren't easy, that, that, develop, that, that help me develop resiliency. Have you linked that to happiness? Well, I find the times that, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I find that there are times when I go through, like I'm a huge fan of, of Man's Search for Meaning. It's one of my favorite books of all time. And, you know, it's this idea of finding purpose in life and meaning. And, you know, I think he, he, the author is Victor Frankel. Victor Frankel, who is a Holocaust survivor, very famous psychologist, basically was the father of logotherapy, which is a, is a branch of, of therapy that, if I'm bastardizing it no, you're correctly, doing good. yeah, that basically said he used a form of therapy to help people find purpose and meaning in life, and that that would help them deal with a whole bunch of other things going on. And he, he, he experienced the Holocaust and survived it. He was in Auschwitz. Um, in Man's Search for Meaning, he actually, did you know that he wrote it over like two weeks, which is incredible? Um, it's one of the best-selling books of all time. But, but anyhow, he, he said that, uh, that, that men or, or, or women um, 
will find meaning in life if um, they are able to do something that is uh, extremely challenging, right? And this idea that it builds resiliency, something that's very creative or impacting other people. Which is amazing because flow, which is for those that haven't heard of flow state, is the idea of being in the zone. So anyone that's watched sports before, played sports before, that space that you can get in where things slow down, uh, it's it's very much aligned with also the idea of purpose and meaning. Yeah, uh, it's 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 it's, so, it's super important. And so for me, like it, it's also like if you think about, but but going back to happiness, like you know the the times that I find myself being most happy is when I'm with other people that I really like when I feel like I'm in a highly collaborative environment. So if I'm in a partnership meeting and I feel like there's good flow and communication across the table and the room and that we're feeding off of each other's energy. Um, and that, so, so to me, that that's a huge form of happiness. Um, spending time in the woods is, is another, is another time. And, and the other, frankly, is like after I've gone through some sort of hardship and I'm looking back on it, and reflecting on the struggle or what, whatever, whatever I was feeling that wasn't necessarily easy, um, I look back on those. And, and while I wouldn't say like I'm happy that a certain investment didn't work out, but I reflect on the times that like it wasn't easy, and that I had to actually roll up my sleeves and deal with something that was unpleasant is like that actually is a form of satisfaction. And so I think that's why. I like difficult things is because I think it creates meaning and I think it creates resiliency that will help me um, deal with things down the road. Well, you can grow and get better and improve from success and, and certainly you can learn from doing the thing right, but there's also amazing growth when you experience pain. Yeah. And so it's why when someone passes away and you're at a eulogy, there's an opportunity to grow because there's... There's emotion tied to it. It's difficult. It's challenging. You can learn about yourself and what you want to be. It's it's very rare that you leave a eulogy at a funeral and you're like, man, like, I don't want to go do something with my life because there's pain there. Yeah. Uh, if you have an injury and something's taken away from you, you're using athletes all the time. They had to sit on the sideline. All right, I now really know I want to do this. Uh, so pain is absolutely linked to growth and people know about post-traumatic stress disorder and by the way i want to go back one step to clarify because anxiety addiction uh adhd those things we're talking about there are also they can be debilitating for Completely. people so i don't want to overlook that side of it and, and for people and, that and and i should also say that this is just my experience and that everybody uh has their own paths and that uh there's not just one like magic formula is that we're all going we're, we're all going through our own stuff and that uh we all have different paths to to finding happiness or fulfillment or building resiliency and all those sorts of things for sure and 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 i think your story is one we don't tell enough which is that adhd can be a blessing that anxiety if you have some of it it also can be helpful and that addiction can be helpful and and you know i'll throw another a autonomy in there where authenticity as you said can be really valuable um but it's also important to note that you know, those things can also be uh, very paralyzing and crippling to people. So I was going to say post-traumatic stress disorder can absolutely be crippling. Is something that a lot of people are dealing with, not just military, but people in car accidents, people that uh, have something, you know, a divorce can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. Victims of abuse. Abuse. So right. I'm not minimizing any of that. Okay. Uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job at 
at trying to educate people on what those people are going through. Yeah, and I, I also think that as it relates to mental health, um, there hasn't been quite the same the, the same spotlight on it as there is today. Not just depression and anxiety, but addiction and a whole host of other things. And so, you know, I, I think that's a first step is sort of removing the stigma around mental health disorders. And what I was going to say is there's also post-traumatic growth and people don't know that. So there's also research that shows that you go through this awful experience and there's actually an expedited opportunity to grow immensely. And so I'm not saying that the victim of abuse shouldn't have their space to be a victim. They absolutely should. But we also need to do a better job educating people that do have ADHD, that do have anxiety, that do have depression, that do go through post-traumatic stress, that there is an opportunity if you choose to accept it, or if you're ready to accept it is probably a better way to say it, of these people that have used it to grow uh, immensely. And so there's, there, there is different opportunities that exist like man's search for meaning. He goes through this awful experience, but then writes this book that is changing the world and continues to change the world. Oprah, who was molested at 10 or 12 years old by her uncle, goes on to grow immensely. And I'm not minimizing the victim, but there's also another story there that there is an opportunity to grow un in an unbelievable way. And, and just to, to backtrack, because I, I think the heart of your question was, why did I decide to sign up for a 10-day meditation retreat? And for me, it actually wasn't around personal growth. Like, I, 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 I assume, even though I've, the, the most I had meditated before in any one day was like an hour, and the longest time I had s sat in one session was like probably 45, 40, 45 minutes. And so the idea of going from that to you know, 10 and a half hours a day, certainly it's broken up in chunks, was like a quantum leap. And so for me, it wasn't like, oh, I was gonna, I, I didn't go in thinking that I was gonna like find out the meaning of life or that I was gonna become enlightened or that I was gonna experience all this personal growth. Like, honestly, I was just like, I know I'm gonna be going through a transition soon for job, for job transition. And I wanna understand the nature of my mind. And that was simply it. Learn. I just just learn. learn. I want to. I want to observe my thoughts. I want to see how I feel. Um, and I didn't go in with any other goal than that. I Hunter Walk, who's a venture capitalist at a firm in San Francisco called Homebrew. He's someone who I, I love and and just really amazing human being. And before I left, he and I were taking a walk in Washington Square Park. And he was telling me about one of his experiences. I, I believe it's Spirit Rock. And he, he said, look, you know, I went in uh, just I went in thinking that it was going to be ABC. And it, it, and it was it was really a and I looked at him and I said, look, like I'm not going in experience expecting any miracles. I'm just expecting to understand myself just a little bit better. And by no means do I think like I'm going to emerge from this and be the happiest guy ever. Like I, 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 I so I went in with eyes wide open, but I, I left really with a much more deeper appreciation for a range of, 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 of topics and emotions and feelings and, and how the mind body connection, uh, works awesome so i want to start winding down with sure you've used the word transition and sort of explaining that you're at a point in your life where you're transitioning so give some more color to that uh paint the picture for us again 
what were you doing? Sure. And what's this transition like for you now? Sure. I, I was a venture capital investor uh, at, a, at a firm here in New York called RRE Ventures, one of the first VC funds in the New York area. Um, it's an Just amazing- to give people more insight there, VC funds really in Silicon Valley, a ton of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So there, there's well, there, there are hundreds of venture capital firms. I would say there's probably a, a few dozen, maybe like thirty to fifty here in New York. And RE is one of one of the the oldest and uh, most respected. And uh, you know, basically, we're in the business of supporting and serving and investing in entrepreneurs. And so um, RE was a was an amazing place to do that. And uh, I, I was reaching the state of my life. I think going through all of this this uh, reflection over the last three years, uh, beginning with my meditation practice and, and learning how to do that, and just really thinking through uh, the kind of organization that I want to be a part of long term. And, and that's not to say that RE, RE is an amazing place, um, but ultimately I felt like I was at a point in my life before I had start a family. To, to really take a risk and go out and, and try to build something. And so, you know, whether that's a company, whether that's a firm that is earlier in its life stage, um, who knows what that looks like, could be building a firm, but like ultimately I wanna build an organization or help build an organization that is values driven uh, and purpose driven and, and really is able to not only develop a strategy and uh, a culture that is consistent with those values. And again, like I, I have nothing but great things to say. It's just like I'm at, I'm at a point in my life where I, uh, I, I, I feel like I, I, I need to really follow that, that desire. Have you wanted to work for yourself? Oh, yeah. 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 That question, like... I, I, people come to me all the time. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of know why. I'm a connector. I like helping people. That's like my addiction. I am addicted to helping people, and so I can relate. Yeah, like I, it's it's I, it's one of my positive addictions. It's the best addiction I have, and I'm not that. I don't have an addictive personality. I'm not. I'm not wired in the same way you are. I will sleep till eight if you give me the opportunity to sleep <laughs> till eight. Um, and I never took an eight thirty class in college. Those were the ones I just wasn't going to take. Um, but for me, like the opportunity to help someone has always been just, it's selfish. Like I love that feeling that it gives me. Uh, and I always try to explain this to people and sometimes it doesn't, people don't get it, but I think it's selfish. I think I help people because how it ma- makes me feel. Um, and people come to me all the time and ask me, uh, you know, for advice on their career or like, let's go grab a cup of coffee or a drink or lunch. And I just do it. Like I, it's just what I love to do. And it's one of the questions I always ask people is, do you want to work for yourself? Yeah, it, it's it's a good question. Um, and, and actually, when you asked the question just a few minutes ago, and then I answered it quickly, um, as you were going into 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 sort of how you how you view that, I actually don't view it as like my own company. Like, I I think that at the end or. or working for myself like to me I, I gain so much satisfaction from working with others that I am a long I've been a long time believer that it, it's a team effort right nothing gets built by one person and so um, I guess 
what what's important to me is being able to help drive the culture and help uh, make certain decisions specifically around people that then drive culture, which then drive strategy. I have this this blog post that's been sitting in the drafts for a really long time, and I just need to need to publish it. But I, I sort of view a company as as like a I don't know if a pyramid is with with different layers, but you know, at sort of at the bottom of the pyramid, you have the purpose of the organization. Then next up, you have people. Then next up, you have values, culture, and then that those bottom four rungs like set the foundation of an organization, and they all extend upwards. And then from there, you know, you have your 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 goals and your strategy, and then the product, and 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 so on and so forth. And and to me, like the bottom four, like that's what I get re- most excited about is this idea of finding a purpose-driven organization, um, finding people that are really excited about that purpose and, and the vision and the mission, and then crafting a culture that people can be excited about that are driven by principles and then ultimately, uh, and then ultimately let that sort of serve as the, the foundation to go build something amazing. I love it. So let's stop there. Great. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to promote uh, what you're up to. I know you've got a blog. I know you're active on Twitter. Um, let people know where they can find you in, in those places or yeah. anywhere else in the internet or social media. Yeah, you can if if you if you Google or or, or search my 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 handle. It's at Schlaf S C H L A F, is uh, in Frank Schlaf. Um, you can you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, all those places. And my blog is schlaf.me, S-C-H-L-A-F dot me. I'm also on Medium. And uh, in terms of what's next, I'm still trying to figure all that out. I know that I'm going to remain in the investment business, uh, have, have a few things cooking, which, which I'll be excited to share uh, down the road. One thing in particular, I am working on a side project uh, that I am going to launch uh, after Thanksgiving uh, because I'm a big believer in openness and transparency. It's one of my core values. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to share a little bit about that right now. I'm calling it the One Change Club. And, 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 and basically, One Change Club is a community that helps our members uh, change one, create one good habit at a time. And, and uh, behavior change is an area that uh, I think a lot of people are really uh, open to, and I think most people, myself included, have wanted to change things in the past, especially around the holidays. And they they say they're gonna, you know, start exercising or lose weight or or start communicating with 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 family and friends more frequently, and all all these hundred things that people want to change, or thousands things that people want to change, but they often do it alone and they don't know how to in a way that's grounded by science and that's backed by thoughtful tools and a community to help people uh, actually go out and, and make some progress about the things that they, that, that they want to change. And so uh, we're going to launch a, a beta here in New York. It's going to be a, a workshop one evening, and then we're going uh, to complement that workshop with a, a bunch of tools online, and we're not going to build them ourselves we're going to do it uh super super uh 
cost effectively, but uh, I'm really excited. It, it's going to be a fun project and I'm, I'm not expecting this to become a business or anything. It's, it's just a, a, something that I think should exist in the world and I love helping people. And if I can help, you know, 50 to a hundred people before the end of January start to make some positive small changes in their life, then it will be worth it. Awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for the yeah. time. Uh, this has been awesome. I've it's, enjoyed it. It's fun. And I know we could have gone for another couple of hours, um, but I respect your time too much to do that. Uh, for those that want to follow me on Twitter, they can do it at Brian Levinson. Uh, the podcast is also on Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And then we have our website, intentionalperformers.com. I'm probably going to hit Steve up for some advice on what I'm doing on all those platforms because I'm still trying to learn how to use them. So am I. <laughs> but uh, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. The podcast is growing and that's a testament to all the people that are listening. So even though we can't see you right now, uh, we certainly value and appreciate that. And uh, thank you all for listening and thank you, Steve, so much for the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode jam. I want to build an, uh, some sort of a, an institution, likely a fund, that uh, can outlive me because not only does it create a lot of impact, and, and, and that word impact can be used in a bunch of different ways, um, but also makes money for our investors and so if they're successful, we're successful, and then ultimately the people that our products touch uh, are successful.